You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me is the man that spent most of his weekend moving house, Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 That is that is true, Kane, in a new house at the moment. So lots of uh, lots of stairs, lots of boxes. That's a, you know when you move from a uh, a one story house to a, a, a story not to, not a humble brag but to a three story house. It's a lot of moving. <laughs> it's a lot of stairs to go up and down and up and down, and it was a uh, it was tiring. Listen, I'm never jealous of anyone that's moving because moving absolutely sucks. Hey, but doing worst. it right now during what's going on in Melbourne, I can't even imagine. So uh, so credit to you. But as far as the footy goes. I tell you what, I had a few shaky moments when I was uh, thinking about my call on the <laughs> at the end of last week that the top eight was locked in. I, I thought there was a couple of results that were going to swing away that I wasn't re- expecting. But ultimately, I, I think across the board, we got probably the winners and losers that we expected from these games. Yeah, that, that's sort of the way it appears. Um, although I guess you could just talk about you know, Port Adelaide, Richmond and say you know, that could have yeah. gone the other direction, but everything else... I guess sort of played out the way you'd expect, margins similar uh, as you know, to what was expected as well. I would say for the other three games specifically, and even if you look at Port Richmond as I guess the home ground advantage, probably would have swung things in Port's way. So nothing much in upset uh, land, but we are sort of seeing that separation occur at the moment. Yeah, we are, and injuries we know. I mean, through this period where the, the fixture is so condensed and we're mostly concerned about soft tissue injury when we're seeing a bunch of those. But this is the type of thing that can completely derail your season. I was watching the Brisbane Bulldogs game on, I guess it was Saturday night. Saturday I can't night. even remember what day it was. But Saturday night, I was watching the Brisbane Bulldogs game. And uh, late in that one, uh, Charlie Cameron goes down with, uh, let's just say, a, a, the type of knee action, the type of knee function that no one really likes looking at, the real sharp hyperextension. He went to the bench, and and he was in a lot of pain at first. Uh, He went to the bench for about five minutes. I I think probably most footy fans were automatically assuming the worst. Within five minutes, he was strapped up, and he was back out on the field, and I don't think he touched the footy. I wouldn't say he looked good. I was absolutely shocked that he went out there uh, with, you know, five minutes remaining in the game virtually uh, sealed. But that's the type of thing for a team like Brisbane that not necessarily will knock them out of the eight. I don't think that's going to happen, but can completely derail uh, their premiership aspirations. All reports are that he's going to be fine and he might even play this week, which is just a a complete miracle, to be honest. I I couldn't imagine that that was going to be uh, the outcome from this, even if you consider some bone bruising and whatever else would have happened with that type of impact. But Charlie Cameron, a pretty scary moment for the Lions. Yeah, look, it's great that he gets out of that unscathed. They're sitting second at the moment. Um, you're right, their place in the eight probably isn't in jeopardy. With, what, six games left? Don't you? Th- I would be really cautious about playing him again on, on a quick turnaround, even if he's you know, fine, quote-unquote, fine to play. I would be saying, well, maybe, maybe sit this one out, Charlie, and let's... Uh, Let's reassess after that because if we maybe they go from second to third, maybe he's that important and that irreplaceable that they need him to, to win every game. But 
I'd rather win the games uh, after round 18 than win them yeah, in round 12. And, well, and they, they got North they got Melbourne North this week. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they, they got North Melbourne this week, and it's it's at home, obviously. So let's be honest. If you can't beat North Melbourne without uh, Charlie Cameron, then, you know, listen, they've probably got bigger problems at hand anyway. Uh, the other big news that came out of the weekend as far as injuries, and there was a bunch we can get through them uh, through the weekend, but the major one in terms of, again, my prediction that the top eight is locked is Adam Trelaw is going to miss three or four weeks. So he's going to miss... Uh, yeah, a bunch of games here. I mean, I don't know what that's going to end up working out to be. There's some talk that they're going to compress the fixture again for round 14 and 15. So maybe this ends up being a five or six game absence for Adam Trelaw. Uh, Collingwood, I don't know when Scott Penabry is supposed to be coming back, but we spoke about them the other day. They are lacking uh, not that necessarily that type of player, that inside contested winner. They've got a few of those, but he's been so vital. He's their number one ball winner. And he's the guy that gets the ball out to Scott Penabry, who they hope, He's going to be returning in the near future here. So, uh, Collingwood, this is this is really turning into a disaster. I saw uh, a lot of analysts over the weekend put a line through them for the season. Whether that's the top eight or whether that's winning the premiership, I don't know. But Collingwood, I, I said they were not impressive against Sydney the other night. They lack class. I don't think they can afford to lose another major ball winner like Trelaw. Uh, <laughs> they're in serious trouble. They're fortunate they've got Adelaide this week. They should be able to claim four points and at least bank those four points because every single game is going to be critical for them just because, uh, yeah, surprisingly, they're fighting for their life in the top eight. Well, if he misses four weeks, that could be six games and that's that's it. That's yep. the rest of the home away season for him. And you'd think maybe he could sneak one in, but if that's how they're going to compress this thing down, then that's that's it's a real long long period of time. And you can talk about having those sorts of players uh, around it. And, you know, Taylor Adams does a job like that similar, but... There's you know, providing 70% of what Trelaw does. Um, you know, replacing Pendlebury is impossible. Replacing Trelaw is a little bit easier, but it's still you can't get what he does because if you could get what he does, everyone would just be doing it. And they'd be getting 30-plus a night and they'd be getting all these contested disposals, but they can't because he's the one that's able to do it. So it's not just a like-for-like replacement. So it is going to be a bit of a struggle for them. Um, again, and, it, and if Pendlebury's not back, um, I don't really know how, that, uh, how, that's going to ha- uh, how they're going to handle that. All right, let's move on. It is Monday. I always like to call someone out for being under a little bit of pressure, and it might be time to do that with a particular Carlton player. All right, so you've got Kane. You got Mark. Mark Murphy is uh is under pressure for you for this week. Well, it's only for one mistake, and I'm really just highlighting Mark Murphy as the guy here uh, in a, a decision that he made on the field that right across the league uh, we've seen a little bit that can just pr- pr- prove so costly. Let me split spit that out. He led the Blues with 23 disposals in the game. So he was fine. He just signed a new deal. He's been pretty good this season, I think, in a Carlton team that, uh, you know, I think it, it helps for them to have those experienced campaigners around. They're so young across the board. But in the fourth quarter last night, the Blues were trailing by 10 points. They received a free kick out on the far wing, if you're watching it on TV. And and they were under siege. They were under fire. And I reckon they just needed one goal. If they could settle, get the game back to a, uh, less than a goal, then they would have been right back in it. And they got the free kick. Mark Murphy picked up the ball and aimlessly started to wander into the middle. Hadn't looked around, didn't know what was in front of him, realized he had absolutely nothing to kick uh, kick the footy to or dispose the footy to. Took that advantage. West Coast went down, and I believe it was Dom Sheed that kicked the goal. And uh, 
you know, eventually it was either Sheed or, or Waterman. They both kicked a bunch of goals in those uh, in those few minutes there where West Coast put the gas on. But you know, for Carlton, we've spoke about you know their finishing, their ability to make decisions under pressure. It hasn't been great all season. I think it's certainly contributed to the fact that they haven't been able to hold leads that they've had. This was another game that another game they had a twenty-plus point lead on in the third quarter and. Just decisions like that, and for that to come from Mark Murphy, one of the guys that's been around as long as anyone in that team, it was it was frustrating if you're a Carlton fan, I'm sure. There was a lot of things you were frustrated about. But this decision is one that you can control, and I just think in footy in 2020, players that take the advantage, and I understand why you want to move the ball fast and, and play on and take the game on, but if you don't know what's upfield, don't take the advantage in a situation where it could really hurt you, and this one did. It is a tough one, the advantage rule, because as you said, like moving the ball is one of the key things to being successful and opening teams up by putting that pressure on it and moving the ball quickly and not stagnating and allowing players to get back. Um, and it's a high pressure, high speed game. Yeah, you've got the ball. Hey, what do I do? Like how it's how to you make that adjustment on the fly. I don't really know what the solution is. It's it's a bad error. And, and it ended up you know, not being great. And whether that's the number one factor or the number five factor as to how this game turned and, and how they lost, I, I'm not sure. I, I can't quantify that. But I think in general, if you want to do like balance of probabilities, you'd be happier with someone you know, trying to take the chance and then turning it over versus going back and stagnating the game. I, I think in general, how, how would you see that? Like, would you be, if you were coaching a team, would you be instructing, hey, you hear the whistles uh, and you get the free kick, stop every time? Or, you know, what's what's the general, or if in doubt, stop, if in doubt, go? Like, how would you be viewing that? Oh, well, if in doubt, stop. I mean, I don't think you can really coach it. Like, in this situation, um, Murphy had a, a whole bunch of players around him. He's on the half-back line, and he's sort of hemmed in on the boundary line. So the only way he can go is central. So everyone knows if you've got to play on, and your only direction that you can travel is inward and towards the center, then you better be sure that you've got something. And, and to me, he had that second to think about it and then went. Uh, this was one that there's absolutely no way he should have played on. And Carlton fans that are listening to the, to the podcast certainly let me know if you disagree. But I just thought that this, you know, among all the other things that happened in this game, this was a controllable one for the Blues that, that really hurt. And maybe... They could have just controlled that footy, moved the ball up the ground, and if they get a goal, then it changes. And it's just such a big swing. If they kick the next goal, it's within one. Uh, and all of a sudden, they were down three goals. They got the next center break, and then it was back uh, above 20. And it just just was really costly. But as far as the Blues go, geez, they're really close. And I've said it before, it really pains me to say that, but they look really close for stretches in games for at least a half every single week. This is a team that is not just being competitive. They look like they could beat anyone in the comp it's kind of crazy to see yesterday they bring in zach fisher who's been out for an extended period of time he kicked four goals patty cripps actually looked a little bit banged up in this one he's looking pretty sore they didn't have the excuse of having a short break carlton and west coast both got basically a seven day break for this one carlton even longer so they should have been fresh but cripps did look a little bit banged up we know the style of footy he plays the contested footy he still managed to get eight clearances despite the fact he spent a lot of time up forward, 19 disposals. But Carlton, again, you know, it's just whether they can sustain that pressure because what we've seen from them this year, and it was on an elite level yesterday, they were harassing the Eagles. I wouldn't have picked that Carlton would have been the cleaner team in the clinches, but they were for two and a half quarters. And then eventually they just couldn't sustain that 
over the four quarters. And, and you know, it's going to be frustrating to hear, but that's going to be the next step for Carlton because uh, their best is, is pretty damn good. I just wonder where that sort of four-quarter performance, that clean disposal, clean possession is going to come for them and where that development is going to come from. Sure, it's going to be young players, but at the moment, we've spoken about it before, I just, I'm not sure what they do when they get under pressure. Are they a team that can slow the ball, slow the game down, hold on to possession a little bit? They, they haven't been that team. And it's, it's once a team gets a roll on, then it's the floodgates are open. And that's clearly uh, difficult for you to win games. Yeah, that's what we've talked about with teams you know, having just the different options, like when things need to change, like going about things in a different way. And we talked a little bit about this with Carlton with how they're, you know, they're so fast and kick-heavy movement. Like how can they adjust that? And it's been a problem. Now, that is the next step, and that's the hard step to take to get from being pretty good to really good. And that involves consistency and no lapses and you know, the ability to dictate what's happening in a game. And they're not there yet. But when things are rolling, they're obviously in a pretty uh, pretty strong position and they look great when they do it. And I think that's some of the appeal there is just how good things look when they are rolling and, and, and uh, you know, Eddie up forward and the big guys and then the midfielders. And you talk about Cripps. I reckon Cripps has looked banged up for a while. I don't think he's looked quite he doesn't look quite right this season for most of the year. Like yep. he had some, he's had his flashes, like those flashes. Remember back against Melbourne early on, a couple of last quarter grabs. But I just don't feel like he's been anywhere near that same level that he'd been in the past. Yeah, it's a real shame too because he could be such a dominant player up forward. They they arrested him up there for extended periods yesterday. He took just an unbelievable contested one hander. It was ridiculous. Uh, but then he went back and missed the goal, and it's. You know, that's the only thing with these forwards that that uh, these midfielders that can go forward. I mean, we look at a guy like uh, Petrarca, certainly Dugowie, these guys that finish really well around goals. And, uh, you know, Cripps is probably in the danger field category where you're, you're absolutely certain that he's going to take a mark and he's going to win the footy down there. But you're just not sure about his finishing ability. Cripps has been that way his entire career. And he, uh, you know, again, missed a, a pretty important one after taking that one-handed mark yesterday. The Blues would have loved to get that one on the board. But what about, and, and before we move on, let me just quickly touch on this. The umpires <laughs> were crap. Everyone knows the umpires were crap. The, the Blues, you know, should feel very hard done by with a couple of decisions that certainly cost them goals. Not the first and not the last team that's going to feel that way going over to WA. I know the WA fans get, uh, you know, pretty hot about that, but it's, you know, it just seems to consistently happen. And it was unfortunate for Carlton, particularly with the holding the ball rule. It's, we know. I think in isolation, a couple of decisions were okay. But then going down the other end, they weren't paid the same way. There's three different umpires. They're going to look at it in different ways. The consistency wasn't there. And unfortunately for Carlton, the decisions that went against them yesterday proved costly and gave direct goals away. And when you're playing West Coast over there, they're too damn good to be giving away goals from free kicks. You're, just, you're not going to be able to make that up. And West Coast got rolling and they won the game. But game of the year... <laughs> Yeah, it, it it's, is this is it official? Are we how how are we topping this one? Because you did send me a message uh, over the weekend yeah. saying that you, you think this might be it. I, I think this might be it. Port and Richmond was a cracking game of footy. It was really really entertaining, and you know it's interesting to look at some of the numbers. Richmond uh, on the day only had two hundred and forty one disposals, so they're down sixty. Yeah, uh, oh, sorry, down fifty on their season average, which is quite remarkable. And certainly the fourth quarter was an absolute avalanche and that contributed to that. There's no doubt about that. But other than that, we saw Port Adelaide handballing a lot more than we've seen 
I think that was due to the pressure that Richmond were bringing in. And it was hot. It was hot for the first three quarters. This was an awesome game. After Port Adelaide jumped out the gates, I thought Richmond did a, a tremendous job to get back into the game. What about the inside 50s? 55-24. to 24. Port Adelaide led the inside 50 count. That's absolutely insane. Yeah, that's that's more than double because I can uh, I can do maths in my head. So that's a <laughs> that's a it's a big number, and even the, the disposal plus eighty for disposals is a huge huge number uh, there as well. Especially yeah, and then even in tackles, when you're plus eighty in disposals is uh, is pretty interesting too. I'm not sure that the you know double the free kicks. Hey, I'm not about I'm I'm not here talking about the free kicks need to be even or anything along those lines. But yeah, that that inside fifty number is it, it's a staggering it's a staggering number to see that and. Uh, I think some of that is yeah, this game. It, what, what's the margin there? Twenty-one points. It could have been. It could have been more. Again, with that that poor kicking from Port Adelaide. You're talking twenty-eight scoring shots to seventeen here. So maybe yeah, especially in that second half where they kicked nine behinds, the margin may have flattered Richmond to a degree, especially after going scoreless in the final quarter. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if you look at the, the breaks that these teams had, and it was only a 24-hour difference, so I don't know. And Port Adelaide are just a really damn good team, so maybe this wasn't the case. But I did wonder coming into the, the fourth quarter just with how competitive and how uh, fierce the attack was in this game, what a four-day break was going to have on the Tigers, what effect that was going to have. And Port Adelaide certainly steamrolled them in the fourth quarter. They're, they look really good. And I said last week this was an opportunity for Port Adelaide to make a statement and I felt that they needed to do so uh, well they certainly did this against the Tigers they're in really good shape now when you look at the ladder 36 points so they're actually uh, as it currently stands two games and a whole lot of percentage locked into the top four you know the interesting thing is with the finals for a team like Port Adelaide and basically every other team that's not Brisbane what is the top four going to mean in terms of positioning I don't think it's ever meant uh, less than it will this year. I mean, you're probably playing in Queensland anyway, so do you want to avoid that matchup with Brisbane? Yeah, probably. If you can, that would be great. But outside of that, whether you finish first, whether you finish fourth, third, it, it ultimately isn't really going to matter. You're probably playing in Queensland the way things are, are shaping up either way. So Port Adelaide, uh, they're getting closer and closer to looking like they're going to lock up uh, this top spot. Uh, it doesn't get any easier, though. They'll have Geelong uh, this Friday night, so another really good challenge for them, but they passed this test with flying colors. The one thing I wanted to ask you about, because I was talking with a couple of people on Twitter about this, and there was a 50 that was given Dustin Martin, and it was 50. He he got, uh, I believe it was Rockliffe, he got him pretty high, uh, and that was an automatic 50. It was on the sort of the back edge of the square, so it would have taken you to around the 50-meter arc. And then this rule came into play where Rockliffe was chasing... Caddy, and there's no other to descri- no other way to describe what he was doing. He was sprinting at Josh Caddy's ankles, just trying to draw the 50. And the umpire did say, "Get out of the way, Josh!" A couple of times. Now, I mean, he <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thing to look at. It looks ridiculous every single time this happens. Ultimately, he gave away 50. It was a 100 meter penalty, and Rockliffe kicked the goal. And by that point, momentum was well and truly out of hand, and you thought Port were going to win the game. But this rule is so ridiculous to me. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like, there is no way you can tell me that Josh Caddy was trying to slow Rockliffe down. He was literally, he was running at a pretty good clip trying to get back to that 50-meter arc. I just don't understand why this rule came in, why we can't just be adults about this and say, listen, if you in any way get in the way of him when he's running for 50, if you bump him, if you touch the footy, 
then we're going to pay another 50. But if you are literally sprinting back just to get to, to the man to man the mark, then I'm not going to penalize your team 100 meters, which is almost in every single situation going to be an automatic goal. I, I just don't think the penalty uh, fits what's happening. And, and whether or not that's the rule, I'm not saying it was the wrong 50, but the rule is just ridiculous. Yeah, it seems like you know, 50 meters is a harsh penalty in general, but yeah, common sense has got to be like, yeah, a, a part of that surely when yeah it's just yeah I, I don't know like when you said it, it it just looks ridiculous like caddy is like almost at a full sprint to try and get out of the way like he's, <laughs> yes. he's not stopping he's not like doing that thing and then just stopping moving so the guy runs into the back of him sure he could have veered off to the side but you also don't want the guy who's got the 50 and he's running to take his kick you don't want him to yeah. then be able to just play on right through the middle like you don't want any of that stuff to happen so uh, I'm always having a bit of an issue with that 50 meter thing anyway, where like I give 50 and the player with the ball can just sprint down and and go. Like surely you have to, there has to be some sort of the umpire goes, well, now we're ready to go. Not like the, the guy can just sprint as far as he wants and, and takes it from a free kick. Like, that seems a little weird to me. And that's exactly the situation that Caddy was trying to avoid. Like shit, I've got to get back because otherwise he's just going to get it at the, at, near the top of the square or yeah, inside 50 and be able to run because no one's in front of him. He's just got his head of steam up and he's off and he doesn't have to bounce it. He's off, he's done. So he's got to stay in front of him. He can't veer out to the side because again, it just gives him that path. So to me, you got to look at it as a common sense thing and surely we can see that and go, well, what the hell is he supposed to do in this scenario? Either yeah, Rockliffe's, you got to wait till the umpire gets him set for a 50 or or that rule just needs, needs to go. It, it, was, it was weird. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I, I had so many people sort of, uh, you know, tweeting at me, or a lot, saw a lot of comments just in general with the conversation around the the incident, and people were like, "Well, Caddy just needs to get out of the way." It's like, okay, fine, yeah, he, he, he can was, do though. that. But he was, he was sprinting but, in a straight line. But then you're giving away a goal, as you said. Yeah. The, the the mark would have been around the 50 meter arc, and Rockliffe would have just strolled in and had a direct shot. I mean, what are we trying to? What I don't know what the rule is trying to achieve. Again. It is common sense. If a player bumps anyone or he slows down in front of him, then fine, call a 50. But in this instance where Rockliffe literally the whole time is is just trying to draw a 50, I think we've got to be a little bit smarter than that. It makes no sense to me, and it's it's too much of a penalty. I I just I, I don't like it, and it was the right call on the day because that's what the rule says, but the rule needs to change. I don't like it at all. Rockliffe was obviously trying to draw a 50, like an extra 50. It's obvious. Absolutely. I don't see how you can look at it and go, that's not what his intention is here. And to me, that, that's not what a 50 meter penalty is for. You're not trying to induce that off somebody who's literally running to get out of your way. They're not. He's not blocking you. He's not holding you. He's not zigzagging around you in front of you. He's like sprinting at full speed to try and get to the area where he needs to be so he can get on the mark so he can make you have your kick from 50 instead of from 30 or from 40 or you know from 25 out if you get an unimpeded run at things so i, I don't know it's looking at it, it it is plain and i i don't really care what the rule says because you can look at it and go well that's not that shouldn't be what the rules intended for and i don't want to go on this about so, continually but it just it's not what it should be so one last one on this game before we move on to monday night's footy I was watching first crack last night after the last game, North Melbourne, Melbourne, which um, I'm not anticipating we're going to talk about that game a lot. But uh, David King was on there and he was saying that, you know, this Port Richmond game, I think there would have been a lot of coaches out there that would have, the light bulb would have gone off. They would have seen the way these teams played, the way they attacked, and they'd be sitting at home thinking, yep, this is the way forward. This is the way to play footy. And I was dying laughing watching this. I just couldn't believe that someone that watches as much footy as him would sit there and think that AFL coaches aren't at home understanding that the easiest way to score and the best way to score is to play attacking footy. There's a big difference 
There's a big difference between teams like Port Adelaide and Richmond and Fremantle and North Melbourne. And and these AFL coaches are not stupid. Like they understand the easiest easiest path to goal is through the center to a lead up forward and you're going to get a beautiful crisp transition play and you're going to kick a goal. Let's be real about this. This is why the best teams playing footy are better to watch than the bottom two teams. And I mentioned that North Melbourne Melbourne game, but it was it was not a good game to watch. It was not uh, entertaining. The skill level was low. There was lots of turnovers. The reason Port Adelaide and Richmond can get away with this because they are absolutely littered with high-quality, high-skill players that can execute these kicks. We've seen Port Adelaide do it all season long. Richmond have done it for the last four years. Teams like Fremantle and and you know also North Melbourne to an extent are going to drop numbers back and they're going to play a little more defensive because A, they've got young players that they're trying to teach the defensive side of the game. And B, they don't want to be blown off the park by 100 points every week. And if they just opened up the game and said, let's go through the middle, let's play attacking footy, they're going to lose by 100 points because they're going to turn the ball over in the middle all day long because these uh, top teams are also experienced. Their defensive structures are absolutely perfect. And they're going to turn the ball over and they're going to kick goals on you all day long. So uh, I just needed to mention that because it's it's been crazy to me that anyone could think that or anyone was shocked that Port Adelaide Richmond will be that quality game compared to some of the lower teams. They're just not capable of doing that. Like Whatever you want to say, lower ladder teams are not going to open up the floodgates and, and open themselves up to lose by 100 points every week. They're just not going to do it. And yeah, look, what, what David King is implying there is that AFL coaches are stupid. Um, that really they just go, it, it made, oh man I was like, laughing what? I is this what we, it is this how we do it man so so the key to winning games is to get good players and try and kick goals that's a, that's amazing knowledge Kingy like, uh-huh. that's it's fantastic but it's not it's not realistic and these coaches will sit there and go I wish we could play like Richmond I wish we could have these guys to put that pressure on and then execute the other way I wish we could move it the way that Port Adelaide does but they know that they can't so what's What's the point of trying to do something that you can't, that, as you said, is going to expose you in a pretty significant way? But we do have game because because it's the footy and it's 2020. We've got games tonight, Kane. We're back back on the uh, on the proverbial horse. So, what are we looking for in tonight's game, which uh, could be an actual uh, try again, an absolute cracker? Oh, it could be game of the year. It could be. It's, it's up you. there. Maybe I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna claim this one. This is my game of the year. Let's go. <laughs> Cats Saints, it should be pretty good. It should be high scoring. It should be attacking. Uh, that's what we've come to expect from uh, both of these teams. They do it in different ways. St Kilda are that team that goes ballistic through the middle. They will, if if they turn the ball over on half back, you're in big big trouble. We spoke a lot about the fact that they get goals out the back uh, last week. We did mention what's going to be their plan B when they come up against a defensive team that says. We're not letting you get out the back at all. And this is what's going to be really fascinating for me in this game because the Cats backline for the most part, have been together for a long, long, long time. They're as disciplined as any team in the league when it comes to their defensive structures, particularly in the back six. They don't get a lot of goals kicked over the back. At times, they've been exposed if there uh, is a a turnover and and quick ball-moving team. So that'll be something to look at. But ultimately, uh, I think as the season's moved on, particularly against a team like West Coast, they did a fantastic job of not allowing those goals over the back. You're talking about Blitzavs. Uh, Harry Taylor, Tom Stewart, Zach Tui. I mean, these guys have been around for a hell of a long time. Lockie Henderson as well. So for me, that's a fascination for St. Kilda. How are they going to score if they if those goal opportunities dry up? But uh, again, this this should be a pretty good game. And I think when you look at the ins and outs as well, it does favor Geelong getting Collegesney, Parfit and Rowan back in uh, while St. Kilda loses Zach Jones. They do get in Jaron Geary, but I think that 
you know, that strengthening of Geelong's team to get three really high quality players back and you know, uh, Guthrie, Fogarty and Simpson go out, it, it's a massive plus for Geelong to get those uh, those guys back. Whereas, you know, St. Kilda, the Geary for Jones, maybe you could argue it's a, it's a neutral, but there's no big positive push for those guys coming in. And yeah, Geelong now, we have Dangerfield, Selwood, Guthrie, Duncan, Menegol, like that midfield group is huge. And losing Zach Jones on the St. Kilda side is going to make that task a little bit harder. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I do fully expect that Dangerfield now will play a full game in the middle. We saw him basically at full forward the entire game. But now the Cats, as you pointed to, they get Gary Rowan back, who you know, effectively plays as a tall forward. He's a marking option. He's a lead-up player. Uh, he brings the pressure on ground level, but he's essentially the guy that they drop at full forward and say, okay, you're going to be our target. So Dangerfield, I expect to play four quarters in the midfield. The other interesting thing that I'm looking at, and no radical here, he's named yeah. as an emergency. Uh, I do wonder, the Cats coming off a short break, is he? are they saving him and they're going to play him on Friday night? And potentially, Reece Stanley is the one that has a break. I mean, the Cats, we know, are going through these four games in 14 days. I think there's some shuffling going on uh, in that regard. And then maybe they believe that they can get away with a Mark Blitzer's Lockie Henderson pinch hitting in the ruck again. But against the Saints, Paddy Ryder and Rowan Marshall, it's going to be interesting to see two genuine ruckmen against the Cats uh, rolling with Reece Stanley. Yeah, that is interesting. I thought they would have brought Radaglia back to try and you know, curb yeah, some of the influence of Marshall in particular uh, around the ground. Um, but yeah, then you are going to be sacrificing yeah, Blitzars back there. But I guess that's sort of what the point of Lockie Henderson is in the team to allow him to have some ability to, to move up and, and follow the ball around. But that is that is probably an advantage to St. Kilda, I'd say, at this point. Um, not sure it's going to be enough to get them over the line, which is weird to say given where these two teams sit on the ladder. But really... Uh, an intriguing, an intriguing game to watch, and this is uh, again my uh, my candidate for for game of the year. Kane, I'm uh, I'm going out on a limb here. Let's uh, let's go with it, the Saints and the Cats. But that'll uh, I can that'll almost wrap us up for today because we've had lots to talk about. There's still more footy to come. So Kane, another another great start to the week. It is Freer Hawthorne as well. Certainly an interesting game as far as uh, top eight ramifications go. We know the Hawks. I've ruled them out, but if they win tonight. They're still going to be sniffing around and they're a chance. I think that'll be an entertaining second game from tonight. Guys, don't forget to subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Leave a five-star review. It's a great way of helping out the show. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Wayne Campbell.